yeah well we're uh we're going thank you so much for coming out and making the bike ride over here <laughs> yeah long long trek <laughs> yeah what is it like five minutes not even that's no. awesome it was into the wind though wind's cranking so oh my gosh i uphill the whole way anytime i go on a bike ride i go south into pv and every single time i'll go out and i'm hauling like feeling really good yep. every time i turn around just straight win the entire way back you know tis the season yeah although it's gonna be good this afternoon this heavy north wind is gonna give us an epic runner oh really so i'm frothing so which will you go from here north or no it's a north wind so we'll get dropped off up the beach and do a few miles back to oh, the house. okay nice yeah. um and before i wanted to get into the foiling i wanted to get a little background of your history as a waterman because i know it hasn't always just been foiling you've done a lot of other stuff right yeah i have um i grew up in gainesville florida and grew up skating and surfing as much as possible it's tough to get in the water when you live a couple hours away from the beach um and then started surfing a lot when we moved to saint augustine when i was like 23 and then when i was 25 or 26 we moved to costa rica and that's when I fully committed to it. We lived there for 11 years. And the last four or five years that we were in Costa Rica, I switched to stand-up surfing. I'd hurt my back and stand-up was really good. And then I decided to take it on um, and and see how far I could go in the sport. And so I did a whole lot in that and um, competitively a bunch and then did a couple films and the podcast and the whole thing. And then we had to move back to Florida, talk about depression. That is when <laughs> I, uh, I found the foil. Okay, so a lot of people don't really surfing is a pretty small sport to begin with, and then when you go into the sub categories right. of it, like the foiling, the stand up paddleboard, and all of that, it gets even smaller, and people aren't even as aware of it. Right. And when people usually think stand up paddleboarding, they usually kind of just think leisure activity, going on a lake or something. Right. How was? What is it like in the world of competitive stand up paddling? Well, so there's two aspects to the sport. There's the racing. Right. And then there's like, the surfing. Like Jamie Mitchell. Yeah. Right. Yep. Jamie Mitchell, Kyle Enney, right. Dave Kalama. Those guys excelled in the in the racing side. Also great surfers, both of them. Uh, Jamie as well. And then, then there's the, the, the surfing side, which is riding really small boards, sinkers. You know, it's a, it's a balanced challenge. And then, you know, fully ripping on the boards. Yeah. So you, how long did you compete in that? I did three years. Okay. I did three years. And um, that was all while living in Costa Rica? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So you have yeah. pretty ac access to some pretty good waves. Yeah, it was sick. And what it did for me was give me access to, as our area, Nasara, Costa Rica, grew and crowds, you know, came in, gave me access to all of these extra these outside reef breaks that no one was surfing. Hmm. And so, you know, I was surfing by myself, the best waves anyone was surfing for the last few years that I was there. That was like really the bonus of, of stand up for me. Yeah. And that didn't interfere with your back. You said you injured it. Yeah, I have a PARS um, fracture and a, what's called a spondylolisthesis. So it's a, a slipped vertebrae by about 30% or so. So it's, I, I thought when I was 28 that I was going to have spinal fusion surgery. And then I met Eric Goodman, um, who does foundation training. And he helped me tremendously kind of put myself back together. If you look at my MRIs from the time I was like 28 to 31, which I trained really hard there, my back doesn't get any better, but the muscles, the support muscles around it are about three times the size. Oh my gosh. So I support my back through that. And then when I got, it, it was to the point where shortboarding just was pretty bad for me, even after that. Um, when I got into stand-up. position? Yeah, the prone position right, for me right. is really bad. Okay. Um, and then in stand-up, I worked with Eric again, and we basically created a paddle stroke that was like training the whole entire time, which was unreal. So- I was able to, sorry about that. No, you're good. The worst. Everyone, <laughs> everyone on my podcast has about four of those. Um, and so worked with Eric to create a stroke that was like back training the whole time. And so over those few years, I became much stronger and, and much more like asymptomatic of, of what I deal with. Yeah. Oh, and, and what was the cause of the back injury to start? Uh, it was one of two things when I was, I've always been a flow junkie, right? And so at like 13 or 14, I yarded myself on a BMX jump and landed on a route from like a six oh. foot fall right in the small of my oh back. Oh my God. And I got like carried out. Um, and then the next year, probably, I had a really bad snowboard fall, heel edge onto ice. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. So he, both of those probably contributed. Yeah, probably didn't help. Yeah, not at all. So you've always been kind of like a adrenaline sport junkie. Well, not maybe not adrenaline, but sport junkie, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think on the adrenaline side, but I think I am more of a flow junkie than an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. You know, the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because when you think about someone who's like skydiving versus someone who's like surfing like right. there definitely is an adrenaline side of surfing like when you look at like big wave riding and stuff yeah. like that but i think in your case you that makes sense like more flow yep yeah because i'm super into music as well like if i'm not surfing if i'm not in the water that creative need moves into music and i do a lot of music and music production and stuff like that oh interest do you do you find yourself intertwining the two no they seem to compartmentalize it seems like if I'm surfing a bunch, I don't think about music. Hmm. But when surfing is gone, I prefer to surf, for, prefer to be in the ocean. Right. Then I can do about a day, and then all of a sudden I've got a guitar in my hand the whole time, or I'm I'm writing songs and stuff oh, with that's my daughter. So interesting. I wonder if that creativity has benefited you in your ability to be so great at these like flow sports. Oh, I think they go hand in hand. I think that the one thing I think about a lot in regards to surfing and music is, and also like kind of like. This is going to get a little metaphysical, but, um, you know, essentially everything is waves. Correct. Right. Energy waves or yep. gravity waves, whatever. And, you know, those are, in my experience, the most two pure ways to experience and play with waves. Mm. You know. So. One being sound and one being physical. Yeah. Waves from the ocean. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, my dad is a musician. He plays piano, guitar, sings, all that jazz. And I, I've never really been musically inclined um like he was but it is pretty cool to see when someone really is passionate about it and yeah. they can really dive into it yeah and i'm not good at music i shouldn't say <laughs> that i'm like i'm good i played bands when i was a kid and stuff i'm i'm okay but no it's not like the the surfing thing which i've spent a lot more time and energy like practicing to get good at yeah so how often now so I guess what well, we should probably explain, you should probably explain what is hydrofoiling because I know a little bit what it is, but yeah, you, you should probably do a Um so so foiling is surfing waves. You don't necessarily need to surf waves, but it's a it's a board that has a hydrofoil which looks like an airplane wing about 28 inches below. There's a mast that connects you to the the foils. So there's a front foil and a tail and when you get to a certain speed, generally around seven or eight miles an hour, the board, you can lift the board off the water surface, and then you are 75, 80% more efficient than if you're on a board. So um, you have access to so much more energy in the ocean when you're oh, on a hydrofoil. Way. That's a cool way of looking. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, there's less there. There's less barrier between you and the energy of the ocean. Oh, okay. Which um, I think is what's so addicting. Because you're like really tapped in. Yeah, I've I've done it a few times. As you know, you graciously let me borrow one of your boards. And Austin Tovey, who yep. is an epic waterman. Mm -hmm. um, he just came on my podcast. I saw awesome. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to try one. to get him on this one. Um, he he towed me behind the jet ski and, and the intercoastal and stuff. And it is, once you get figure it out, it is one of the coolest feelings in the world because you're like weightless, yeah. but you're moving fast and you're, generating your speed by your body and it's it's very weird but it's super super cool you feel like you're a bird it's the yeah. closest thing to flying i think you can do i mean i think, yeah. think about like a pilot who's in an airplane they're still separated from the elements via so many different controls and, and you're literally controlling everything with your feet right and so you have access we do what we call runners which i think we're going to get a austin and i just foiled out back right now so if you hear me sniffling it's because i still have post nasal drip from serving for an hour <laughs> or two um, but Austin and I are going to do a runner. And, and when you get a heavy sideshore, um, wind, you get peaks that run down the beach. And so, and you're going with the wind and with the swell. And so we'll do miles. I mean, Austin and I did five miles the other day. And, and how long does that take? It depends. You know, I've done two and a half miles in eight minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it can be Moving. really fast. Yeah. 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 You can average, you know, 15, 18 miles an hour on foil easily um it, but if fast? you come off then then you got to catch another wave and check oh, back okay in. and how fast are you going if you're on a regular surfboard like a regular shortboard if you're getting a pretty good ride in you can go really fast on a surfboard i mean it, from what i've heard you can go much faster in big surf on a surfboard so jaws or oh, okay. um nazare 
because you start skipping and actually there's there's an inflection point where there's less resistance at really high speeds oh. and and foils tend to have it's about 50 40 50 miles an hour i think i've never gone that fast on foil <laughs> but uh, but i think it's a right around that point where you kind of can't get past the uh the resistance of the water at that speed oh, but you get up to 20 25 miles an hour much faster than you would on a surfboard so okay. it's it's so different it's like a huge jump start it's a huge jump start and then you can maintain those speeds where in surfing you need that wave and that that right, the peak and the yeah where in foiling I have foils that I'll pump at 17 miles an hour. And that's just a wicked experience going that fast. That's going very, very quickly on the water. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts to fall at 17 miles an hour and you're just (laughs) pumping around. Yeah. And you're also kind of high off the water sometimes depending on how high your mast is. Yeah. And that's not a fun fall. Like I've had, I I don't even know how many at this point, like micro concussions because you're up that fast, you're up that high, you're, you know, and then you're going 17 miles an hour and then, you know, you can, if I've learned to fall much better at this point but you slap your head from yeah you know seven eight foot height you know 17 miles an hour doesn't feel good right do you yeah. ever do you ever wear a helmet or did you ever i did wear a helmet but i have found that at those speeds it actually makes the slap of your head worse because you're really? you got more to stop your yeah oh interesting yeah it's a bigger it's a bigger you know like a surface area hitting the water so it slows you down quicker oh so if you're not wearing a helmet. Your head kind of slices through the water more yep. theoretically. Yep. And now it's only if I get surprised where I have those head slappers. I've gotten pretty good at different falls. Or if you're really shallow, like sometimes like you'll be in shore break and then you can't dive in. Uh-huh. And then you have to you have to try to stay as you know high in the water column as you can. Interesting. And and what? how did you discover foiling? Because it is like probably the, arguably the smallest niche of like water sport. I mean, it's getting bigger. Yeah. It's gotten, getting, getting a lot bigger. But a few yeah. years ago... Because you started this like four or five years ago, right? No, or? I'm only two and a half years in right now. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, but it didn't used to be big at all. No, no, it's, it was super tiny. So it was, foiling was started in the surfing realm. There was the, you know, behind the boat, uh, wake Towing. skis, yep. where they would sit down and, and the air chairs. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was a while back. And then uh, Laird Hamilton and Dave Kalama. Uh, and Dave's a great friend. Like I talked to, I talked to Dave two days ago for like an hour, just geeking out about gear. And it's awesome because he's been in this sport from the very beginning and he's still just as passionate now. And it's like, what I love about talking to him is that it's, it's just about where we see the sport going and what designs we're working. He shapes boards and, and I dabble in that and, or what foils he's tested lately. It's really cool that he's still a Grom at i don't even know how old he is right now 55 or something like that right, it's just yeah. rad um so the sport started with those guys getting into surfing um towing you know it was uh, snowboard boots and big um like life jackets yeah. at jaws uh really long masts really small crazy foils and then alex agira from GoFoil working with kai lenny and dave a little bit i think too about four or five years ago started playing with bigger um higher lift slower foils and what they found is that you could go much slower on foil than anyone had realized and then that opened up small waves so foiling started as a big wave sport surfing started a small wave sport and then kind of went to a big wave sport foiling started as a big wave sport and now we've realized that the beauty of it is it gives you that much efficiency that you can ride i mean florida jacksonville florida is terrible surf spot yeah i mean it is like i had to move back from costa rica and it is terrible to live here as a surfer who wants to like rip right but on foil it's literally good five or six days a week like good like legit good which is kind of crazy it's it's ridiculous and i don't in five years or in 10 years everyone here is going to switch to foiling it's it's really think so absolutely yeah the the amount of fun you have um every turn feels like you're at j bay and yeah so one so, foot wave is like a chest high wave which is ridiculous <laughs> yeah so how did you get into it then so because you were doing the stand-up paddleboard yep. competing yep and then you weren't doing any prone surfing i was oh, i still were. prone sir i'd still go out and get barreled oh, yeah okay. yeah but i did a lot of stand-up and then i i did two films in in stand-up would bring down pros and one was like all of the young guns and then the second film that i did was with Dave Kalama, came down, Colin McPhillips, three-time world longboard champ, 
uh, and another guy. And Dave was frothing on the foil. It's all he talked about the whole trip. And at that point, I didn't want to hear it because I had spent, you know, three or four years. You have all this, you know, sunk cost into a sport and right. just fully, fully frothing on stand up. And then we ended up having to move back to Florida. And so I tried to do the longboard thing here. And I was like, this is kind of lame. It's like, it's fun, but it's it's not what I enjoy of the sport. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy like critical moments um, and putting myself in those. And um, after about a year, I, I just watched Dave and some other guys enough to where I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. And so got the world's worst foil and just tried to start sending it. And um, yeah, I almost quit at the beginning because I had a really bad fall where I was wearing a helmet and I, I tacoed and the wing hit me square in the helmet. I mean, it probably would have killed me oh my God. if I was. But I was doing everything wrong. Like there wasn't a blueprint to learn at that point. It was yeah, before was, anyone yeah, figured that out. Yeah, how do you figure, how did you figure out how to do the sport correctly at such an early stage of it? I did it all wrong. I, I did everything okay. wrong. I paddled out in the biggest surf I could find. I did a Costa Rica trip to learn and head high surf. Oh my god! I mean, I had no idea what you were supposed to do to learn to foil. <laughs> and so it was all trial and error. Uh, but Thousand now... ways to not make a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but now, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can learn to foil a buddy of mine james casey does some courses the podcast i have done has tracked i started actually i started the podcast um when there wasn't any information about learning to foil and i was like well i'm just gonna start a podcast because i knew so many people from doing a a podcast and stand up Mm -hmm. that they would come on the show because i would just be like hey i started this podcast on foiling and basically all it was was me just trying to figure out how to foil so I would just oh, call up guys yeah. who were in stand-up who were foiling ahead of me a few months or six months or a year. Yeah. And I would just be like, what have you learned? That was such a smart thing to do mm-hmm. because it's gotten a lot of, it's gotten bigger and just you learning, but also being able to share that with other people. Right. So now tons of like my back catalog in the podcast, it's like the first episode of foiling. I had done a few on just learning and, and flow, deliberate practice before. Um, but that first episode on foiling is still listened to a few hundred times a week. Really? You know, the whole back catalog. It's like wow. people will find it and they're like getting into foiling. And so you can pick up the journey where I was in your learning process yeah. and then basically go through it with me. Oh my gosh. Which that's is so pretty cool. cool. Yeah. How much of uh, your skills from stand up paddle boarding were you able to apply to the foiling? And like, do you think it, if you hadn't had that experience in stand up paddle boarding, do you think you would have progressed as quickly? Um, I wouldn't say stand up. Well, okay. So, so possibly stand up in that. I learned after, I don't know, a month of trying prone foiling that it's easier to learn to foil on a stand-up because you're just taking away variables. You're stripping away variables. Because and it's so big, you mean? Well, it's big and you can already be standing. The transition. Oh, oh I see. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. Tr- transitions are always hard. And right. so going from paddling in to popping up to coming up on foil is much more complex than standing up, mm-hmm. catching a wave, and then just worrying about flying. You can have your feet in the right place, the whole thing. So... I, it helped in that regard, but it's more about foot sensitivity. So yeah, being a good surfer helps your foiling once you're good at foiling, because then it's the same lines, you see waves and all of that, but, and catching, and catching waves at the beginning is, is helpful. But I mean, a good skater wouldn't, I actually think I, I skated a lot back in the day. I still skate ramp and there is so much that you draw into foiling from like quarter pipes and approaching bowls and things like that because you have acts the the ocean becomes infinite and so it's not about the wave you're riding it's about the energy within 100 meters of where you are so you're looking out like oh i'm gonna go hit that section so i might just chip in i rarely ride the first wave i catch i just kind of chip in and as i'm turning the corner i'm assessing like where all the energy is and i'm kind of like drawing lines like you would in a skate park or in a bowl of like oh, i'm gonna hit that and then i get an exit from there to the one behind it and you just leapfrog and you know each run is generally two to seven waves wow i mean that just the it's so interesting the amount of thought that goes into it to be to be good at it and to be able to read the waves and figure out where you're going to go next i mean for just regular surfing you you have one wave you have to right. worry about but what you're doing is you're connecting like like you just said two to seven sure waves i mean that's all like a whole nother piece of the puzzle yeah or on a shore runner 40 
you know right yeah how is that is that hard or is it easier because you have the wind going with you it's easier from a cardio perspective but okay. you're riding different energy on shore runners it's really cool because you you start to see the ocean very differently you start to see you know the difference in the wind swells and the ground swells and the seams in between everything and there are so many places that you can get free energy in the ocean and and i think that's the most beautiful part about the sport is just how deep it is it is the most complex game i look at everything like games and it's probably the most complex game that i've ever played hmm. you know i see yeah. the ocean as like a heat map of energy now which is really cool oh that's so interesting yeah that's what some of what you're saying is similar to like you saw i have that surf ski yeah. out there and yeah. some of the most successful surf ski racers in the world their whole thing is connecting bumps yep it's very similar same concept and it's just all about finding that energy so you're conserving your own energy right to move forward as quickly as possible right and that and everyone is like that once you figure that part out in surf ski you're good because then you can just fly yep Yep. and uh i imagine that's what it would be like for for you on the runners it's very similar the one difference is that you're going in a straight line and sometimes the fastest way between two points on a foil is through 10 turns because, oh, that's you know, there might be energy to your right and to your left. And so I look at it like power ups, like where I have enough energy to bottom turn and glide to that bump. And then if I do a turn, you accelerate through turns so you can hit that bump, do a hard turn. Now you're coming out of that turn faster. And now you're looking for the next bump where there's speed and then you're doing a turn there. So you're, you're basically, I call it ping pong. Uh-huh. So you're playing ping pong down the beach, you know, down your run through all of these series of swells and bumps and seams. And it's kind of like sailing because sailing, like if you're going like upwind, you're not going, you can't go straight. So you kind of have to, um, sort of, it? yeah. Jab, jibe and, uh, attack. Yeah. Yeah. All that. Yeah. yeah. That is so crazy for, um, you mentioned it's easier cardio wise when you're doing on a runner. Do you do any specific training outside of the actual foiling to stay in shape for it? No. Really? No. I mean, foiling is such a workout. It's basically like you're running a series of 800 sprints all day, and I foil most days twice a day. Really? I'm in the water a lot. Well, I was so. I was riding yesterday. I was road cycling, and I was thinking, I was like, man, like I feel like this would be a good thing for foilers to cross do. training yeah. yeah i'm sure it would be yeah i'm just neurologically and physiologically dead when i'm not in the water you know really yeah like if we get a week where i'm inland i train for sure okay um and i have uh, we spent some time in new york and i'm you know working and um i have a, a bike up there like a, a schwinn um what are they uh, cycle whatever yeah, yeah spin bike there you go yeah, yeah, yeah and i'll crush that and then crush a sauna and but as soon as i get near the ocean it's like if i have an off day i try to do nothing it's like sit at the computer and netflix and chill interesting yeah so the whole goal is just be in the water as much as possible yeah and just dedicate all energy towards that yeah okay yeah and so when did you when you first started it was there that much drive in it or has the drive and passion for it grown as you've gone through it so that's one of the coolest things about foiling and the crew so what's been really fun there's there's a couple things and i'll backtrack here just a second before I, I get to that question and it's with doing the podcast and now having trained so much and and gotten to a point where um i'm kind of in a, a group of of i don't know the 30 or 40 people really pushing the sport forward i am constantly everyone's as fired up as i am in that group and so I'm constantly talking to Mike Pedigo, Dave Kalama, um, Adam Bennett, which are the guys all pushing the sport. And everyone, all of us, are more fired up right now than we were a couple years ago. Hmm. And it's really cool because most most of the time you can't spend two years as fired up as all of us are. But it's that we're at the beginning of a sport that is technologically advancing. And so the riders will push the sport and then the gear will catch up or the gear leads a little bit and then the riders will catch up to the gear. And so it seems like almost every month someone's doing something we didn't know was possible a couple months ago. Really? Oh yeah. That's crazy. That's a fast rate. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like if you were a surfer and you got to see the longboard and then the mid length and then the twin fin and then the thruster and then the fish all over three years. Yeah. Which you know? didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't know. It yeah. didn't. It took a long time to, to unfold. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. The, yeah. the progression does seeing surfing in the Olympics inspire like that group of people that foiling is going to get even bigger because now surfing's getting bigger and stuff like that. I don't know if the Olympics will have anything to do with it. Um, I got to I got to spend some time with Italo right before he um, won, which was really cool, and got to watch his passion and his training. And then I've seen what's happened to his Instagram and just his popularity and the whole thing since yeah. he won. It's been fantastic. It's been great for the sport of surfing. Probably bad for lineups. <laughs> um, for foiling, I think it's different. I think that. There are benefits to foiling that people are going to start to understand over either the next year to five years. And you're just going to have foils. Like if you've got a wakeboard boat, you're going to have a foil. Mm. If you live on a lake, you're going to have a foil and a wing. Because it's not the, the, the uh, sports kind of already exist. So windsurfing exists. It's just more fun to do it with a foil under your board. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't windsurf, so I, I don't, I don't right. know, but I'm a lot of guys who are into windsurfing and Austin kiting. Austin does it really well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Austin's a legend. Yeah. yeah. He's really good on the foil. He's good on everything. Yeah. Um, but a lot of guys that are, it lets you have more fun with worse conditions and everyone wants that. Right. Right. Who doesn't so, want to have fun? Right. Yeah. So if you're a Florida surfer and all of a sudden you start foiling, you've gone from maybe one day a week to five days a week where you're fired up. Mm. And as soon as that clicks with people, I think the sport's going to be huge. And I can watch, you know, podcast numbers or Instagram. You know, my buddy Brian Finch runs uh, Foil the World, which is the biggest Instagram account. And I just watched all the numbers just exponentially rising. People are finding the sport now. And I look at the back catalog of the podcast and see how many people are, you know, obviously in that learning curve right now. Yeah. And it's it's really cool. Do you think that there'll be in the next five years a pro level competition for foiling uh there's already some contests starting yeah there was just a the racing it's gonna bifurcate right we're gonna have the racing scene and actually trifurcate maybe is that a word you're gonna have the (laughs) the winging side and then there's already a kite foiling scene you're gonna have the wing foiling and then you're gonna have the surf foiling and then you're gonna have the racing side and downwind will have races and you're gonna have pump races and um the the surf side, there's been a few contests, and that's what I care most about. And it's it's a weird one because we don't know how to judge it yet. Because oh, you have yeah. access to so much of the ocean. You could go so far. It's, yep. it's not like just yep. catching one wave and doing a lot of maneuvers on it. You could right. catch eight waves, and you could be riding for like two to three minutes, right? Yeah, easy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that that has to be figured out how you're going to judge. I think it's going to end up going like snowboard or, or skateboard contest where you get a run. So like, instead of there being four surfers in a heat, you know, you, you paddle out 10 minutes before your run and then you get two minutes to do whatever you want. You catch, you chip in and then you get two minutes and you're judged on those two minutes. Mm. I think it's going to probably go that way um, because then you have access to like a lot of the best turns and foiling are the ones when you're coming back out because you're going 10 12 miles an hour out the waves coming in at 10 or 12 miles an hour so you have this huge delta of energy so you can hit those sections so hard Mm, okay so it's actually more fun and that's like the skating thing it's like you're approaching a quarter at speed and then you get to throw a trick on that which is something you can never do with surfing never unless you're doing toe ats like that's like one of the most fun things you can do surfing is you do toe ats, which right. is the same thing or skimboarding, like skimboarding. There's a lot of similarities. Oh yeah. 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 Have you, <clears throat> cause as you said, you you're in the group of a, a big, a large group of people who are really pushing the sport. Have you guys ever talked about starting your own, maybe not contest, but like foiling event, like a, in different locations or has that ever been something discussed? Yeah. I think that we're planning something for, um, Jacksonville next year, which would be really fun. Yeah. And I won't say too much about it now, right. but yeah, there'll, there'll be some stuff coming out about that. And yeah, it'll be cool. I think it's going to happen more and more, but the beauty in foiling also is in the freedom of it. And I don't know if I love what has happened to surfing and 
I mean, surfing started off as a counterculture, right? Mm -hmm. And now for the shortboard crew, it's frowned upon to even ride anything. I mean, in Florida, maybe it's a little bit more open-minded, but in California or in some other places, like the shortboard crew is like the shortboard crew. Like you're on a mid-length out there, you're getting the stink eye, which I think is hilarious because it should be about how much fun you're having in the ocean. And so um, the beauty about foiling right now is that anyone who's in the sport right now is open-minded. Same thing with stand-up. So I really like that people are, are willing to transition and try something new to be the kook. You know, you have to swallow a lot of pride to learn to foil yeah. or to learn to stand up on a small board. And a lot of people don't want to do that, you know. And so the the adoption rate will somewhat be limited to that. But then the guys who are coming who aren't the, the pro surfers, who don't have the ego or whatever tied up. Now, I say that, and if you look at, like, the, you know, um, WSL, most of the guys on WSL now foil a lot. Yeah, I see it on their Instagrams all the time. Yep. Yeah, they're so. they're really into it. I mean, it makes sense because like you said, if there's bad waves, you can hop on the foil. And I was about to ask, does the foiling help your shortboard ability? At the beginning, no. Okay. At the beginning, no. It's, it's really bad because everything is different. All of your weighting is different. So if you foil for a couple months and then you go hop on a shortboard, it is an, a terrible experience. Really? Yeah. Cause Ooh. you need to lean forward when you lean back and, and all oh, this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's opposite in a lot of ways. Um, now that said, I spent a couple months surfing and foiling every day as a part of training. I was, I was exploring this. I have a belief that if was you look at living here, it wasn't. No, oh, okay. it was when, when we were up North. Okay. Um, I have a belief that if you look at a guy like Kai Lenny or Kiahi Diabuidas, if you know who he is, or Zane Schweitzer mm -hmm. or uh, Sean White, some of these guys are doing multiple sports but are at the very peak of the sports individually. And so I started like tracking back that theme and it really seems to me, and, and I've, I've felt it because you know I, I surfed, foiled, and skated every day for a while to test this. And it unlocks sensitivity and neuro connections that otherwise you're kind of locked in. Like one of the downsides of doing something every day is that you start to get real habitual about it and it gets harder to break those patterns. But by forcing yourself to, and this is a lesson you could apply to so many different things, um, by forcing yourself to go outside what you're focused on, you're learning things in a, in a different way. And then I'm calling it skill mapping, uh, coined the term, but it, it seems to work to where what you learn in one a theme or a lesson can be applied to the other and that the sum of the group is 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 more valuable in in the individual and so it's been a really cool thing to explore and now i've had on chris rasman who just won um huge snowboard contest last year the travis Wright of uh, travis rice events just came on the content on the on the podcast to talk about um, flow and training. And that's one of the things that we talked about. He's huge, hugely foil brain at this point. And, um, that seemed to resonate with him. Um, and then Austin as well, you know, some of these cross sport athletes who have been, and he's another one who's in that, you know, right. He's at the peak of, of three or four sports right now. No, I told, I really like that a lot. And that's something that I've kind of recently kind of really dove into without even really realizing it just trying different things. And for years, I've always been, I, I like to try new hobbies. Like okay. I, I like to just try new stuff and learn new things. Um, my parents call it phases. Sure. Um, but so like I like archery now, I'm running, like rowing, cycling, um, Metcon, like CrossFit style workouts, and then throw in the surf ski and throw in surfing every now and like all these, I like to pull all these little things and you're right. Like when you learn something, from one, like the calmness that I have to have in archery, like yep. to be able to be, be centered and work on my breathing, like that can all be applied to like my running and trying to lower my heart rate while I'm working out. And it's all these little things and you definitely can connect them all and they do make a sort of a map. Yep. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. An interesting example of that is that I have been working on music production. So as a, as a parenting philosophy, I have two kids, 12 and 14. Um, my daughter, who's 14 
has gotten really into songwriting and she's become a good singer and, and has wrote 170 songs during oh the pandemic gosh, or something that's ridiculous awesome. just yeah. comes out of her it's that's like really cool it's a, it's amazing i'll show you some of her stuff yeah and to help in that i love music and to help in that journey like what one of my things as a parent is i think that you should try to have share passions with your kids because it's much easier to teach your kids something through something they love and if you love it together that's the easiest way mm -hmm. than to just tell them something and so i started i kind of switched from just like playing a lot of music to like really getting into music production and i found in learning to mix and i, I call it like creating space in the mix i found that you know the the kick drum and the bass are normally in the same range of of hertz right so you've got a kick and 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 a bass pretty similar in space and together you start to blow out the mix but if you pick a, a, an avenue if you pick a lane for each and separate them out the whole mix will sound louder and everything will have its space and so mm. i started thinking about that in regards to i mean I, I work in business and have teams and um you know with a family dynamic it works as well like everybody can be seen as kind of their own instrument and everybody needs their own space to shine and so i've started adopting this in in the family and creating um like avenues for the kids so i foil obviously a whole lot my right. son foils as well he rips dude he's he's gotten really good he just got the semis at this big race oh that's awesome in uh, against all the men oh my god in uh in uh, um coco beach two weekends ago dang but in that in that principle i decided not to do the race to let him do it to let it be his event yeah right so i just showed up and hung out and you know i don't love cardio events anyways but i thought it'd be like a really good thing and almost an experiment to see what happens yeah so it was his thing all eyes on demo that day and he absolutely crushed it and it was like this beautiful thing because there was no competing attention for what he was doing that day mm. and it's it's you know it's a cool thing too to where like if you're running a team you can create spaces where people can shine and then they feel better and and then we're going to work harder and then everything is going to be better and and the song or whatever it is is going to be better the team will be better because everybody has their own place and they have that responsibility yeah so and it's I, like a weird way to think about like the skill mapping like right something from doing music has applied to like the rest of my life and you as the person who's leading a team has to figure out who everyone is as an instrument and what their yeah. skills are so that you can allow them to have that space. Create the space, yeah. Which I feel like that's probably something. How do you go about that, figuring out what people's skills are? Because it's not like someone just walks up and says, hey, I'm great at this, you know? Right. Uh, oh, man, that would really depend on, you know, what we're talking about or, or what the team dynamics are. But, you know, in the family, you know, my daughter is music. Uh, my son plays guitar some um and then the um it, you, you have to spend time with the people and understand who they are and kind of have a sense of goals and purpose I, people do a lot better when they have purpose in my experience i know i do mm -hmm. i've been lost before and it's it's not a good place for me to be and i don't think anybody i think people when they feel lost it's kind of a hard time um and so finding what they're naturally inclined for, what they like doing, generally, if you like doing something, you can be good at doing something. Right. You know, you don't have to be good at it today, but if you enjoy doing it, you're going to get good at it. Yeah. Um, my life kind of changed when I started operating on that principle. I just decided at, I don't know, a pretty young age, I worked at a software development company when I was young and, you know, I had to drink a ton of beer just so I was hung enough, hung over enough to, to go to work the next day or else I wanted to go do something rad. And I was like, got offered like a big, a, a big promotion good money when i was like 23 i was like this is a trap i'm not going to do this because i'm just going to be stuck here and miserable yeah and i just kind of decided to do things i love and it was crazy how the world just kind of opened up when i made that decision and that's still like my guiding principle every once in a while you get pulled in a direction that you have to stay in to see something through but um as a rule i think you should try to pick out things that you love to do and then dive in for as long as it feels right and then find the next thing and if you do that i find that money will follow money is usually the last thing to come but right. it usually follows yeah that's something that when i was in high school i 
I remember talking with one of my closest friends and we were talking about he wanted to be or he is going to be like a doctor. Yeah. And uh, he he's very good at that. Like, that's what he he really does enjoy it. Yeah. And I was like, always like, yeah, like I, I want to do something that I actually enjoy and I, I don't want to chase the money. Um, and I think I'm still trying to figure out what it is. I enjoy these are things that I like, but I think I'm still in the process of trying to find the thing that I love. Right. And I feel like that's kind of a hard thing that probably a lot of people my age are mm-hmm. going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. You know, you have to, there's, there's a, a Venn diagram that I think is so amazing. A buddy of mine um, showed it to me, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago at this point, but it is um, three circles, what you're good at, what you love to do, and then what people will pay you to do. Hmm. And if you just draw out those circles and just start writing things in there, it's it, it helps find something that will hit those three things. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. I have to try that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very simple way to look at a complex theme. Yeah, it, yeah, it is definitely complex, and I think I don't think social media helps. Also, in I think the, it's terrible in a lot it, of ways. Yeah, it's there are so many benefits to it, but there's also so many drawbacks to it as well and i mean you promote your podcast on and then i'm sure it's super beneficial for that but i'm sure you have your own gripes with it as well i only use social media for foiling okay that's that's actually yeah now i think about yeah you that's all yeah there's no you know when when we moved to costa rica i started a blog and it was very family centric and this whole thing and then as the town grew and we were out there so much I, i didn't like it and I kind of got an early look into what social media has become um, because I did a, I did real estate and development there and people would push back on development in Costa Rica. And then you get caught up in early Facebook days of online drama. And I was just like, this is silly. Like this is taking away time from my life. And so when I completely removed myself from social media for a long time, and then when I started getting back into the foiling, I, I kind of stuck my head back out, but it's just foiling. Mm-hmm. And and for foiling, it is the most valuable tool that there is because it has allowed us to have a global community of people who are like-minded. It doesn't have to be, it's on Instagram. It wouldn't have to be Instagram. Like if all the foilers would go somewhere else, it wouldn't have to be social media necessarily. Like if, yeah. if you know, you had a great forum and everybody was there, that would suffice. And a lot of it's moving to like telegram threads and things like that mm-hmm. at this point. But and as you get to see the sport evolve. But outside of that, I have no interaction with social media. I won't do it. Yeah, I being a photographer, I definitely I sometimes get caught up in it. And uh, <coughs> I kind of have to remind myself that this is just a four by five photo that I'm posting. And, right. you know, it's just like it doesn't really mean that much. Um it is definitely a weird thing um, to use on like a daily basis. And there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I mean, it kind of ruins photography, which I definitely agree it cheapens with. cheapens it, right? Yeah, it really, it really does. And especially if you're cropping this beautiful landscape shot down to a four by five, you're not showing the whole thing. And that's no. just like that cheapens it as well. Um which is a bummer, but and plus it's in there with a thousand bad photos, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, probably gets two seconds of view time if you're lucky, right? right? You yeah, know, double click next. Yeah, um, but you speaking of kind of art, and I kind of consider board shaping an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something you do as well. Yeah, so I how, love shaping. Yeah, how did that start? Did you just were you not happy with certain boards and yeah? Okay, so when I was in stand up. I started, I didn't think that things were optimized for what I wanted out of a board. Um, What were you writing at that point? I wrote everything. Like, so as a, like, like I'm doing right now with foiling my dive into standup, basically I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And I really believe that gear teaches you. I, you know, like you can't really study like there's a kid named Kane DeWild. He's a legend. Um, He's like 20 years old. And he's an incredible designer and he's an incredible foiler. And a big part of my learning process is modeling. Like there are guys like a Kane or like probably a Kai Lenny 
or a friend of mine, Fisher Grant, if you know Fisher, who are just innately talented at these things. That was never me, right? Like I learned through learning the principles of, of deliberate practice and then applying those. And I'm very deliberate in the way that I approach things, mm-hmm. um, which is why people like to follow the podcast because generally when someone's an innate talent, they really don't even know what they're doing sometimes. And, and that comes yeah. all the time on the podcast. I'll have a brilliant somebody on and they don't really know how to articulate anything right. that they're doing. Yeah. Um, and that's not taking anything away from what they're doing in any way, shape or form. Right. It's just not the way their mind works. Yeah. You know, it's all backbrained and it just happens. And that's beautiful. I think if you can do that, that should be your way. Yeah. Roll with it. <laughs> and that's like 1% of people. Yeah. Right. And so, um, part of my learning process is riding gear and then modeling someone on that same gear. So like Kiahi de Aboitis, I, I think in early standup was really light years ahead of everybody else. And so, you know, I ordered the exact same board he rode and then would go out and try to draw the same lines that he was drawing on that board. Hmm. And because if you're, if it's apples and oranges, you know, like if you're trying to model something on the wrong equipment or your body type is completely different, you're not going to get very much out of it. But when you can try to take away as many variables, create as much similarity between the two as you can, then you can really start to feel like I like to, I like to, when I model something, I like to try to take away like the the big themes of what is happening. And then it's like if you're like playing music and and you study Hendrix and you learn every Hendrix lick. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean in 2 years you're going to sound like Hendrix. Right. But you're going to understand themes of what made him who he is. Yeah. And so I've tried to do that. I did that with stand up and now I'm doing that with foiling and so I went through modeling all all of these folks and I rode I don't know tons of boards um and then there were a couple feels that I thought you could get that I wasn't seeing anywhere in the market. And so I, I just started designing and iterating on boards and then came up with some, some pretty cool stuff that was very different. And now a lot of it's been kind of taken by some other bigger brands. Like one of the models I did, the Phantom, now looks very similar a few years later from some of the biggest sup brands out there, which kind of mm. feels good. I made zero money on it, which kind yeah. of sucked, but <laughs> but it was it was, you know, like it, you know, the design worked, the idea worked. So that was really cool. Um and I'm sim I'm doing the same thing in foiling right now to a lesser extent because I still feel like I'm in that learning curve. And I feel like the market is still solving for most things. But there's a couple ideas now that are starting to stand out as as ways that could be a real, I don't think it's worth doing unless you have something that improves what's available in the market. Um, but there's a couple things that I'm starting to see now, which is cool. Do you, the things that you want to change to certain boards, do you think that there are changes that would only help you because like you're, you're body typing, you're the way you foil and the way you surf and the way you ride, or do you think it's something that could be widespread? Oh, I think they'd be widespread. Okay. Yeah. So these aren't just boards that like only you would be good riding. No, because I think that there are holes that start to show kind of in the marketplace. Mm. And so if you, if you study enough and you also have to be at a certain level to be able to feel that's one of the big, the big problems that I have with a lot of designers or board sports is it, it, it people are making stuff that they don't even understand, right? They're relying on rider feedback to some extent, right? And there's always so much lost in translation. And then it d- depends on what rider you're picking. And you know, like um, some people have done it very well. There's a designer for Unifoil named Cliffy, and he just teamed up with Adam Bennett, who's one of the best foilers in the world, surf foiler, probably the best. And they spent a year designing foils together and they're about to come out with something that's going to be insane. And that was a very um, creative collaboration that the two of them had. That's the way that it should be done. If, you know, Cliffy doesn't foil at the level that Adam does. Right. But if Adam had Cliffy's design skills, that would be a better foil, right? The the Mm -hmm. one-to-one correlation between I feel this, this is what I want to do. That would be tighter. Kane is the only guy in the sport doing that right now. And maybe we'll start to see some designs from him in the next couple of years. But, you know, it's 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 not a mystery why some things are so much farther ahead than others. Yeah. And that's on the foil side, which is much more complex than the board side. 
that's what I was about to I was about to ask how complicated is the designing of a a whole system like the the board and the actual foil um generally they're independent sometimes okay. manufacturers will make a board that will complement their foil um like for angle of attack or or things like that like lift foils ride very specifically so their boards the boxes are in a different place and mm-hmm. some stuff like that but um yeah it, it is a complex process to design a foil and a lot of the groundwork has been laid in you know all of the sections that we use for foils are are you know aerodynamic air airfoil sections right and right. so basically i have a book at home it's you know um theory of of wing foils or something like airfoils and it is like a 500 page book that at the end of it it's 200 pages of different airfoils like all different you know like and i spend some time on every once in a while i'm not very technical in that regard um but uh so it's it's really at this point about figuring out what works and why so it's more of a discovery process than an innovation process okay yeah so how often are you testing new foils frequently i test a lot of foils yeah i feel like i see it on your instagram like it's like oh got the new today and it's like yeah so did you like today for example are you riding a foil like you're used to or are you trying something new so i've gone back to riding i just spent wow about a month dialing about four different new foils okay and that's taxing and it takes away from surfing a little bit and and in the learning scheme i kind of look at it like a a a stairway and when you ride new foils you spend a lot of time figuring out the nuance it's really easy to get a foil to ride 90 percent comfortable but that last 10 percent takes a lot of dialing and in that process i've been riding some foils that are really small in that process you you tend to learn a whole lot um but you don't know, goes back to sort of that skill mapping thing, but kind of across the same platform where when I take it back to a foil I love, I, I'm bringing back something that I learned from those foils. Right, 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 right. So, so I just, riding some really small, really fast foils for the for the last month, I came back to a foil that I'm incredibly comfortable on that's like one of the, the breeziest. It's almost like a high-performance mid-length. It's really easy to pump. It's super fast, yeah. turns really hard, but it's not like really short board. Who, who like, makes that one? It's a Takuma. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's a Takuma 1210 Kujira. And it's, you know, we modify, we cut off the, like, the tips and do some stuff to it to make it a little safer for what we're doing because yeah. the tips are a little scary. I've seen pictures of them. They're pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're gnarly. Um, but now coming back to it, like some of the footwork that I learned on the Cabrina 800 and on the Lift 120 has now changed the way that I'm approaching surfing the 1210 and now that's much better. Mm. And so that's really cool. So that's like the process that I'll go through is I'll test new gear, I want to figure out the gear. I want to understand the gear, but then I want to figure out how that gear surfs best. And then I want to take that back and apply it to different foils to see how it feels. And it's kind of like this, you know, two steps forward, one step back process where I'm not always surfing my best when I'm out there. And some guys get really frustrated. I've got some friends who just hate testing gear because you might have a shocker. You might have a really bad session. Yeah. And, um, but I, I look at it like my goal is to be as good as I can be in a year or in two years. And right. this path is going to have more frustrating days, but the overall progression is going to be much faster. It's all about I'm going long term. Yeah. yeah. And when you're testing these foils, are you using the same board? No. Oh, I ride okay. like three or four different boards right now. They all have different characteristics. So I'll pair a board with a foil and then I'll try different stuff. And actually now we're even like, using base plate shims so shims underneath the board between the board and foil connection to change angle of attack of the foil so you can get more aggressive in turns and things like that i was about to ask once the board is out of the water how much variability is there in the boards because they pretty much all look the same it relatively yeah i mean they're they're all generally like little short surfboard discs yeah it's all about it's the angles it's okay. all in the angles of where they are. So something that has more angle of attack on the whole foil rig, as you bank it over, the foil is pushing at just a slightly higher angle of attack than the board. So it's pushing you back into your front foot. Mm. And it's also about the balance that you like. So where do you like that balance point on your board? And 
Um, it's really cool how that's kind of unfolding right now where some people are landing almost like in a snowboard stance. Like my stance now on foil is almost in the middle of the board, about a foot from the tail, about a foot and a half from the nose. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's different and it's like yeah. unlocking. It essentially shortens the board. It gives you um, more access to, to leverage over the tail if you want to go back there. And Right, that makes sense because then you have more room to go back. And if your foot's already far back, you have right. nowhere to go. Yeah. So that's a pretty impressive balancing right there. Um, yeah, you're tuning the foil to be heavy on the front foot and yeah. to want to turn. I mean, it wouldn't be good to start like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But have you ever, cool. do you have a YouTube channel? I don't. Okay. Have you ever considered doing that for doing like instruction stuff like this? Um, that might happen. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, my whole thing is I'm, I'm pretty busy. Right. And the podcast seems to be the least commitment for most output I have found. Mm, That's why yeah. I don't do video with it. I Neither try to I. edit yeah. as little as possible. Yep. Um, you know, it takes me about two and a half to three hours to put out an hour and a half of content. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. Turn Like we're a YouTube video. It's yeah. Quadruple that. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's ridiculous. It could take six hours to edit like a 10 minute video. Right. Which is nuts. And this isn't like, um, a professional endeavor for me really right it's more passion so um you know if it turns and goes more professional then yeah you know content quality will get better in the whole thing but yeah um yeah right now what i'm doing seems to be kind of like the uh like perfect the, balance yeah it's efficient i like efficiency yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. which is foiling <laughs> yeah yeah that works out that's funny um well one last thing i wanted to ask you was what advice would you have for people who are starting out with it? Because it's kind of, it is kind of intimidating. I mean, you have this blade on the bottom of your board. And sure. What advice would you give someone trying to get into it, learning how to do it? So the first thing I would say is try to find someone who knows what they're doing. Um, if you're in the, where's your audience? Are they? Probably mostly here in Jacksonville. Okay. Florida, so, yeah. so if you're in Florida, there's a guy, Dave Slemp in St. Augustine who um, lives on the water, has a couple skis and e-foils, oh, okay. and he's doing lessons. He's a great dude, big into stand-up back in the day, and now he's super foil-brained. That's our term for people who are like, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, because everything else melts away and you're just all foil. And <laughs> Slump is uh, giving lessons, and, and he'll get you dialed super fast. I mean, when you start out, if you're a good surfer, and I probably there's a lot of good surfers who listen to your podcast, if you're a good surfer, your inkling is, I don't need lessons. I'm just going to go out there and do it. The problem is you're going to put on a, a board. Everything that you know about surfing is going to work against you. Right. You're going to paddle into a wave. You're going to have a bad experience. It's really not fun to hit a foil. I'm yeah. nursing a cut on my leg right here. I've got oh, cuts man. all over me right now because, you know, like what we do, we hit the foil from time to time. Yeah. Um, it, it, the juice is worth the squeeze, though, so it's it's worth it. <laughs> nice phrase. <laughs> um, but, you know, get with Slump or, or someone who has a boat, you know, Austin or somebody who can tow you around to where you can take away all the variables and just figure out what it feels like to fly. And you should log hours like that and get used to it because you want to know that if the foil starts to feel this, I need to push forward. Um, try to make it as safe as possible. And once you have figured that, if you come from a, a surfing background, you know, three or four sessions behind a boat is going to give you two months in the ocean at the beginning. Mm. And then once you feel, you know, you feel that figured out, you get in the ocean, um, keep your weight forward. You know, and as you take off, you don't want the foil to come up right away. Keep it down and then get up and then ollie up. Or if you're good at stand up already, start on a stand up because it takes away variables. I mean, right. that's, that's the theme is just take away as many variables as possible. You want to find an old, slow, doggy, like simple foil to fly. The right. new foils like. They're so nuanced and they're really unstable. That instability, the instability creates like wicked turning and lots of speed. Yeah. But you don't want that for a while. No. <laughs> That's the opposite of what you want to just have something that feels like you're flying on a door. And it's still going to feel amazing because you've never felt anything like that before. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's when I was figuring out behind the jet ski that was invaluable and it was super helpful. Yeah. Um, Skis are a great way. Yeah. No wake and... No, probably. Yeah, they're awesome. Yep. And then one thing I always I was like, oh, I can't have an ego doing this. Yeah. Because it was probably one of the most humbling things I've ever tried. Yep. 
So that was something that I picked up from it. And that's that's good too. It's good to go and be a kook to put on the white belt. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to put yourself in uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and try something new. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, something I've always kind of tried to do on a regular basis. Yep. And if you're a surfer who only likes to shortboard and you're in Florida, get on a foil because you'll be much happier. <laughs> Everybody on a foil more. is smiling all the time. <laughs> I don't see people on shortboard smiling all the time. No. That's one of the things, man. I used to go surf the pier here all the time, and everybody was fighting over a one-foot wave and being gnarly, and I'm like, what yeah. the is this? Yeah. Like, there's no crowds either. That's the other cool thing is that on foil, you know, four of us will take off on the same wave, and it doesn't even matter because you just spread out after right. you're up. It, you know, like, there's no scarcity at all. And so it's such a different mindset. And so it makes it so much more fun because you're legitimately frothing when someone else gets a good wave because it doesn't mean you're not getting that wave. Right, right. And it's just, it's a better mindset. You're like a happier person when you foil versus shortboard. And I've spent a lifetime shortboarding, so I can right. say that. Yeah, yeah. And I know Austin has too, and he feels the same way, I, would, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Austin and I probably shared three or four waves this morning. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. You know? And there's never bad vibes, you know, like, right. It's, it's rad. Yeah. Well, it's, it was awesome listening to that. And, uh, that was super informative, not just about foiling, but I think about a lot of things as well. So I really appreciate you coming on here, man. Yeah. Wilson, thank you for having me on. This was rad. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you.